0: In Texas banking, I'm Lavonda, and today on my podcast, I have Darren Babcock with Bonton Farms joining me. Darren's the founder and CEO. So Bonton Farms is so much more than a farm. I really wanted you guys to hear that the goal was not to simply grow food because we had the food desert, but to address why Bonton is a food desert. We're not here to fix broken people, but to be the hands and feet to fix broken systems. What a great way to help people. And I'm so excited to hear Darren Babcock. Welcome to the show, Darren. Ah! So today on the podcast, and I have Darren Babcock with me and Darren, I want to talk to you a little bit about Bonton Farms and where did the name Bonton come from and really tell me why you set out to do a business there in that area. Well, it's
1: a fascinating story before. Our community had a name. We're a community that was established not long after Emancipation Proclamation by newly freed black slaves trying to find a place to live in Dallas where they wouldn't be harassed or hurt or harmed or or worse. And a lot of those communities in our city happened to be built along the Trinity River. The oldest historical Freedmen's community is a community called Joppy, which is just on the other side of the Trinity River from us. And if you if you can imagine back then, I I think about this a lot and I can't get my mind around it, what it must have been like to have suffered like that and to learn that you're now free, but to not be able to go live where anything was already built or established. Amazing. Um, And so a lot of these communities were established along the Trinity River. And what followed that? era was segregation. And so a lot of what are now inner city communities, but back then mostly um, newly established communities of of black families trying to build a life for themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, where a lot of small businesses started because they weren't allowed to they weren't allowed to go eat at our restaurants or shop in our stores or to go to our hospitals or banks or anything. And so there was a bit of prosperity that happened in those difficult times. And some of those families in Dallas started trying to build or buy houses closer to white. Communities, and as they did that, those those houses that were bought were bombed, okay. and the part of our part of town started being referred to as Bomb Town. And it wasn't long after that that Ray Charles and other musicians playing at the first his first gig at the Woodman's Lodge, that's about two and a half miles from our neighborhood. And there was a commercial district in Bonton that had gambling shacks and brothels and things on it. Uh-huh. And when people would finish listening to music, they would take the dirt road to to our community. And people just kind of changed the name from Bombtown, which was obviously had a negative part of our history to Bonton, which is French Cajun for good times. Okay. Like people, people would come down here for the after party. Uh-huh. And that's the genesis of how our community started. It was not long after those bombings that our current mayor at the time, there's a new federal program for public housing. And because of the bombings, the mayor's idea was we should apply for federal money to build public housing to keep the black people in those communities so that they won't move closer and bring this kind of violence into our city and so the question then is what happens when you build Communities and housing, with the intent to keep people separate—not not just separate from us, but separate from the things that we use to build a life with. Separate from the economic centers in our city. Separate from where the hospitals are. Separate from where the grocery stores are. Separate from right. where the banks are. Right. Um, and so we have entire communities built in places where there's still, in 2021, there is still a food desert because there's no grocery store. It's still a banking desert because we we don't have banks here. It, it's still a healthcare desert. It's still a job desert because there's no economic development here. And really, the idea of Bonton Farms is that we believe that if our community had those foundational resources, we call them human essentials. Mm-hmm. But if our community had those things, that we would use those to build lives with, and that the outcomes in our community would normalize over time. Let me give you a brief description of what that looks like.
0: Love it. Yes,
1: please. In in, in Bonton, there's three thousand eight hundred zip codes in the state of Texas. Bonton. Our zip code, 75215, incarcerates the highest percentage of people of all 3,800 zip codes in the state of Texas. Wow. We have the second highest teen birth rate. We have the highest infant mortality rate. We uh, graduate of just a little over 50% of our kids from high school every year. Uh-huh. And we suffer from more than double the rate of cancer and stroke and heart disease and diabetes and childhood obesity than the county were. And so think about what would happen if we could come along and build economic development opportunity, which is what Bonton Farms is. What if we could also bring health care and non-predatory banking tools here? And what if we could also bring free- access to fresh food? And if we could challenge the educational system uh, to-, to prepare our kids as well as they prepare the kids in the suburbs? And the big bet is when we do those things, that those horrible statistics that I just described you will normalize mm-hmm. in the near term. In, in the next 10 to 20 years, we think those outcomes can normalize. And if that can happen in Bonton, think about what we could do in other communities, not only in our city, but across the country.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So tell me, what do you think? why not? Why Why doesn't it happen in, in your eye? Why doesn't, it sounds like a simple plan. Yep. If we had these things, this is the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think keeps it from happening? I
1: think there's a couple of things. Generally speaking, I think that people that aren't as close to this as I am, yeah, I've lived here for 10 years, so I'm immersed in it. But if you're, if you're just somebody that watches the news every day, and you're a concerned citizen and you care, I think most people still believe that the problem lies within people. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about is I believe the problem's environmental. I believe that the vast majority of us are products of our environment. You know, I I was telling people the other day, I asked, people that come here asking for help, if you could describe three main attributes or characteristics that you possess that you learned growing up, what are they? Unfortunately, they're tragic. When I I talk to, if I were to ask you, what are the three main characteristics or attributes that were instilled in you by your environment you grew up in, your family, your grandparents, the friends and neighbors? What, Mm -hmm. What are the three things that you think describe you that you gleaned from that as a child? What would you say? Safety, confidence, and love. I'll tell you a quick story as an example. We had a kid that grew up that was that uh, lived a few doors down from us, and I loved this young guy. He was he's brilliant. He's just one of the smartest, affable, pleasant, happy-go-lucky kids you could meet. And he uh, started having leg pain, and come to find out, it was cancer. He had a tumor on his back, and so the kid was he underwent surgery, and he was going through chemotherapy. And one day, the school bus pulled up in front of the house and let him out, and all the kids get off the bus, and I'm inside and next thing you know, I hear this loud commotion. So I go outside and there's a bunch of kids that had jumped him. Okay. And so this is my friend. I go out there and break up the fight and threaten those kids. Like, please never touch this young man again. A couple of hours later, his mom came to the house, which I was a friends with her. And she came to the house and she asked me kindly, please never do that again. What, not what I was expecting. I thought when I answered the door, she was going to tell me, thank you for helping Thank me. you. Uh, Right. And and, and in a way she was, she was just saying, look, down here, he has to learn how to fend for himself. And if he doesn't, you're going to make it worse for him. Right. So when you're not around all the time here, if you if you don't show that you're capable of standing on your own, you'll get eaten up. And so. I know it may be hard for you to see, but let let whatever happen, happen. And so that starts to shape how you respond to people when they confront you or when you have a conflict. And, you know, I think to get back to your your question is that I believe societally, we think that homelessness rate, the addiction issues, the trafficking issues, domestic abuse, the high numbers of incarceration. All of those are things that that I think general society views as people there's something wrong with people that are leading to those outcomes and and I right. just see it as We have almost a quarter of all Americans are born into a place of poverty today. And when you're born into a place like this, it shapes you. It's traumatic. And we think that we can just heal that environment. And if we heal the environment, the people will will use that beautiful new environment to build different kinds of lives with lives that lead to productivity and giving back and strong families. and, And that's the big bet of Bonton Farms.
0: I think that's interesting you're talking about that because I, I have an inherent belief that people are born good and they people want to do good in the world and, and, and live long, thriving lives. And so what I hear you saying is that, yeah... But when you have an environment that surrounds you with, if you don't fight back first, you won't survive. That's much different than an environment of, we'll take care of you until you can grow into this type of person. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think
1: if that. we believe in people the way you said, and I believe you're 100% right, you know, we've been doing this for about 10 years and we've served a lot of men and women that have been formerly incarcerated, and we've mm-hmm. never had a person reoffend. Really? And when I say that, most people's response is, "Wow, that's amazing!" And I was like, "No, really, that should be normal," (laughs) because because prison sucks. (laughs) I've I've never met somebody that wanted to go back to prison. What we should be saying, amazing to, is that statistically across our country, half of all men and women will recidivate, they'll reoffend in the first twelve months after being released. Why is that? That's the amazing thing. Why would so many people go back? To Someplace that's so bad,
0: you know. I'm not sure I've ever listened to it that way because that's interesting. It's like, why would you want to go back to what I'm mean, as you said that everyone looks at and goes, That's got to be hell. That, well, the, and, and, the
1: and the answer is they don't. But do you know that when you come out of a time in prison, do you know that you have to pay your parole and probation fees every time you go visit the officers? Do you have to pay a fee? Did you not know that? Know that. Did you know that you have to pay for your own drug test? I didn't. Did you know that if you get sent out of prison to a halfway house, you have to pay your part to stay in that halfway house? Where does that money come from? So where does that come from? Well, you know, one of the challenges is if you're fresh out of prison, a lot of times your ID or license expired while you're in there, if you even had one before you went. So it takes time to get a job, but you have to start seeing your parole and probation officer right away. They start drug testing you right away. You have to live in a home and pay for your portion of that roof over your head. You have to pay for your utilities and your food. And so a lot of people wind up going and back and, do, and earning the money the way they knew how so that they don't wind up violating parole and going back to prison, which in That's doing so is doing a crime that is setting you up to go back to prison, which is why half of people will go back in 12 months. It's a, it's a, it's a silly, stupid, it, it doesn't even make sense for me to tell you that without laughing. It's so insane.
0: Because how do you pay for it? If you can't get a job. It gives you have a record, right? Yeah, so- it just.
1: Yeah, it, it, we, we have, unfortunately, not thought through very thoroughly when people fall out of the margins. You know, mm-hmm. my grandfather used to use the terms, keep it between the mayonnaise and the mustard, right? Because driving on the road and, <laughs> and the white and yellow stops, keep it between the mayonnaise and mustard. When people fall out of, the, out of the lane on the road and wind up in the ditch, I think that America is the most amazing country in the world as long as you're on the road. Mm-hmm. But if you if for any of us at any given time somehow find ourselves homeless or somehow we fall in the ditch. Right? right. Maybe we made a bad decision and committed a crime and got caught. Maybe we we lost a job and had a health issue and we became homeless. You know, maybe I had suffered a tragedy and didn't have the emotional intelligence to deal with it. And I wind up self-medicating and become addicted. Well, whatever that's life, right? It happens to most of us in in different ways through the course of our life. Most of us will experience some kind of hardship like that. And Mm -hmm. I think that in our country, we aren't very good at helping people that happen to find themselves in a ditch, get back on the road. And And I think that's a tragedy because your statement was so profound that people are inherently good. and people do want to live good Productive lives that they can be proud of,
0: right? And I that's, think that's why I think,
1: that's why I think we've never had a person reoffend because if they're yeah. given the opportunity, that's right. what we all choose.
0: So tell me, how does Bonton Farms? Tell me what it really does. Tell me about Bonton Farms, the actual day to day, and what it does for offenders or for people in that area.
1: was so, so anybody that's found themselves in a the ditch, we we like to say we specialize in people that everybody else has given up, right? Okay. And so whether you've been sold into prostitution and traffic or whether you've been abused domestically or whether you've been addicted or incarcerated, you're no longer locked up or beaten or high anymore, but you're also no more prepared to go build a life than if you were. And so mm-hmm. people that find themselves in those situations make their way to Bonton farms. And we work with you to develop a life plan that helps understand where you've been what you've endured, what your skills are, what your deficits are, what your barriers are, what the opportunities are, and we lay all that out in a roadmap and then we walk with you each step in the journey and then mm-hmm. we provide what we call the seven human essentials They're okay. from housing to transportation to ensuring you have food. A job, access to healthcare, and financial tools. And right. we believe if people had those five or six things, that they would use those things to build a life. And it's true it's, all, it all the time. If I have the tools, I'll use those tools to build a life with. Now, our biggest challenge is to be smart enough to walk alongside people patiently and intelligently to lead them through that because most of the people we serve have never had any of those tools. And so it's not just making those tools available, but we have to show people how to use them. I had a guy that got (laughs) sent to life in prison at 15 and he happened to get his sentence revisited and he got out at six. And so this year he was telling me, this is the first year I've ever had a job. So it's the first year I've ever had a tax return. I'm supposed to get about $2,000 back do you think I should get a bank account? And I said, absolutely. And he said, I grew up being told that we can't trust banks. And I was like, well, we need to go meet a banker and you need to build a relationship and and see what you think. Um, He said, do you think they'll give me one of those cards? And I assumed, I said, are you talking about a debit card? And he didn't know. Right, and, and and so I just explained to him, I said, you know, you work really hard for your money. And when you hand somebody money, like we were in our coffee house down here. Right. And I said, when you hand the barista $3 for your coffee, you make a decision that the work, the sweat that you put into to earn that money is worth handing to somebody else for this cup of coffee. Uh-huh. But when you, when you have a debit card, it's, it's dangerous because you don't actually physically hand that money over. And so it's a lot easier to exchange money for service without thinking that through. right? And so I showed him, I pulled up my bank on my app on my phone and I bought him a cup of coffee and he watched the money disappear from my account. And it was like, I had just done a magic trick for him.
0: I love that.
1: It's fascinating, but we get to teach people how to use these tools and it's not just making them available, but it's learning how to walk with people to use those tools that most of them are, you know, our average age of somebody that comes here is 38 years old and they're sometimes learning how to do really simple tasks that most of us learn early on in life for the
0: first time. Yeah, I think it's interesting you say that because I've heard that quite a bit that, oh, we provide these tools. But to your point, it's just like a hoe or a shovel. If you've never used a hoe or a shovel, what do you do with it? Somebody has to kind of show you what to do with that. So I think that's an interesting take on something you're doing a little different than others that I've talked about is that you have to walk alongside it to teach it because it's just a tool if you don't. So what got you interested in this, Darren? Tell me, what made you made the move to Bonton Farms? And why did you want to make a difference in this neighborhood? I don't
1: think I did. (laughs) (laughs) To to be quite candid with you, I was not looking for this. You know, I, I am one of those people that found myself in a ditch at one point in my life. You know, my first wife, I grew up where... Kind of like what you said, I felt empowered and I felt loved and I was challenged to always be the best that I could be at everything I did. And every time I applied myself to anything, I achieved it. You know, I'm talented enough. uh, God's graced me with enough physical and mental talents that if I apply myself to something, I can do just about anything. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, we started a young family and my wife's diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, first thing I faced that I have no I, I would have done anything. I'd applied all of my gifts to be able to help her. And I i, I was absolutely powerless. Uh, two years to the day from her diagnosis, she died. And I didn't have the tools to deal with that. And so I wound up, you know, self-medicating and dealing with my own emotional pain in, a, in an unhealthy way, and it almost killed me. And it was in that crisis that I had to go get help myself. Against my will, I, I didn't want help. I was absolutely fine just to kill myself, you know, just to die slowly. It was what I was right. doing. And, and But I had people that loved and cared for me that wouldn't let that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I got help, and in that journey, you know, had an encounter, a spiritual encounter that's really hard for me to describe but for me that's a big part of my journey and something happened with me in that time that not only did I heal and get better but my heart changed and I started caring about other people you know I was I was a really selfish person and I'm not saying that I'm just being honest with you Mm -hmm. I was a really selfish person and most of my relationships were built around what you could do for me and coming out of that encounter my heart changed Mm -hmm. Don't know how to describe it. I just, from that point forward, I have had a deep concern for other people. And so one day uh, I was having coffee with a friend of mine and he invited me to this community of Bonton to meet with some guys that they were meeting with that were coming home from prison and trying not to go back. And I came down and couldn't leave.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know the right words for this exactly, but when God put you in a plan for you that you didn't know about. And as long as you'll listen, (laughs) which is not always the easy thing to do, right?
1: Well, and sometimes a lot of it's because sometimes he'll tell you things you don't want to hear. I (laughs) I didn't want to hear, hey, leave, sell your house and leave your career and move to the inner city and give your life to people that before now you didn't, you didn't even know or have a concern about their plight. And now... Their plight is my plight, and their community is my community, and, and we do this journey together. It's the greatest gift I've ever had. I tell people all the time, I hardly make any money anymore, but I'm the richest man in Dallas. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But man, when it first happens, it's really scary. And it's hard to let go of the things that I had become comfortable with for the unknown and the things that were uncomfortable. Best decision I've ever made, though.
0: I love the way you said it was a gift. It wasn't a calling. It was a gift. Right. And I think that's maybe the same thing, but I look at it a little bit differently. A calling is something you're called to do, but you, you weren't really called to do it. You were given a gift. And right. when I read about you and about what things you guys are doing down at Bonton Farms, uh, I was really intrigued because i I didn't know all the history of Bonton Farms until I started doing a little research on it. So it's really very interesting to see that. I think the way that you're approaching it with environment is, is so true. So what is the wish that you have for going forward for Bonton Farms? How do you want to grow? What do you want to see it look like in 10 years?
1: Uh, as it relates to Bonton Farms as we know it today, I, I want to finish building out the re, the main resources. I, I want to see a bank here that mm-hmm. is custom designed to, to to not view us as charity, but to view us as an emerging market and to help us build foundational tools to move up the socioeconomic ladder so we can become a mainstream banking customer. You know, I want to bring healthcare services and food, better food access here than what we have today. And then I want to help more people navigate through and learn to use those tools and show the world how people are good. I want the world to come to the same conclusion that you said so beautifully is that I believe people are inherently good and want a successful, productive lives that they're proud of. And I know that to be true. And I I want to I want to show the world through this little thing in Bonton that we can do it. And if we can do it here, I want to share it with the world. Now there's a group of people that visited us and spent some time here uh, a year or so ago, and they're starting one of these in Missouri. And that's what I hope happens. I hope people see the inherent goodness in people that aren't like them, that may come from diff- more difficult circumstances. And that if we invested in them and help make sure that everybody has the basic tools, right? You know, no handout, I'm not talking about any of that stuff, but just the tools that they they need to build lives with, I believe our world would change. You know, interesting. I got to do a TED talk a few years ago. And one of the things I did in the research, you know, in the United States, unfortunately, we incarcerate more people than any country in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. And do you know, out of all of the men and women that are incarcerated today, they have a single common denominator that they share most in common. Almost 70% of all men and women incarcerated are illiterate. Really? yes so think about that where do illiterate people come from and the answer is everywhere, everywhere. But, but, but disproportionately because of all the factors we outlined earlier disproportionately most people that are illiterate in the united states today come from a place of poverty and places of poverty typically are inner cities. and those inner cities were established from our past of slavery and emancipation and segregation and we have an opportunity not to dwell on those tragedies, but to learn from them and build so that we can finally live into the beautiful thing that founded our country is this idea that all people are created equal with certainly inalienable rights.
0: Yeah. No, that's, I think, you know, I think true to poverty, but I think people kind of overlook that they blame the school or the parent or the whatever it is. My um, daughter in law is a teacher and she's like, there's something different when you're trying to teach someone to read or r- do math and they're hungry. Yeah. Or they haven't they had no place to sleep. They don't care about math or reading. You're just, you're just you haven't taken care of their basic needs any longer. And, you know, back, and that was very interesting.
1: Back to that TED talk thing. You know, I had a young man speak before me, little bitty, skinny, <laughs> you know, probably 18, 19 year old young man. Uh-huh. They did an amazing job. But he said, you know, obviously, I grew up in an inner city in Florida. And he's like, I obviously I'm not going to be an athlete. He probably weighed <laughs> 80 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> And he's like, I knew education should be important to me. And it was my way out of the environment that I was raised in. Right. But he he said in eighth grade, when I took a test to see what classes I would take for the rest of my public school years, I knew I should be prepared, but I had other things on my mind. My best friend had been shot and killed in a gang involved shooting Mm -hmm. because he was my best friend. I thought they were also after me. So I was scared. We hadn't had any food in our house, so I have not eaten for three days. And I had to take this test and the other things that were going on in my life superseded that. And so I scored in the bottom quartile and I was given remedial classes for the rest of my high school career. But I had a teacher that saw something in me and I don't know what. But she told me if that she if I would stay after school and work with her, that she would help see that I never got anything but an A in her class again. And. I started getting A's in her class. And then she said, if you'll let me work with you in your other classes, I I don't think you'll ever get anything but an A in them as well. And he went on to finish his story by saying that he had just received a scholarship to Harvard. Oh, wow. And that's obviously not the normal story, but it's what's possible. You know, that kid would have been lost like so many others in this environment that creates devastation and brokenness and hardship and trauma. And instead, somebody believed in him. And that's all it took. I hate to oversimplify it, but you know, I, you know, almost all of us can point back to somebody that believed in us, and they believed in us more than we did at a critical, critical time in our life. And because of that, we became something we didn't know we had in us.
0: It's so funny you say that, because just yesterday, somebody asked me, a brand new employee asked me, well, how did you get where you are? How did you become the CEO of this company? And I said, you know, really, someone walked alongside me and guided me. Um, yeah. It wasn't because I was the smartest or... I had the best education and like that. But someone walked alongside me and gave me feedback when I was doing great and feedback when I wasn't doing great, quite frankly. But they yeah. didn't just tell me what they do. They walked alongside me. So I think even for people who, you know, that most of us will walk alongside people. It's amazing what people can do.
1: No so, question. Yeah. Part of the equation.
0: Yeah, (laughs) well, I've really, I mean, I've personally not been to Bonton Farm So I'm going to come down and see it. I know we had talked about a few things before. So I'm so interested in hearing your perspective on it. It Intrigues me to figure out how we can be a part of the solution along with you. So I'll have some thoughts on that. And maybe we can talk about that at some point.
1: Well, the world heard it now because we're on a (laughs) a podcast together. So I, I will look forward to seeing you soon. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Very good. I, I will be there. Thank you so much. I, I really, I so enjoy talking with you. It's a, I love hearing your passion about it, But I actually just love the most about, you know, it's not Vonton Farms. It's about people, about yeah. what you do with people. So no matter where it is, right? Yeah, um, that's right. You walk along with people. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'll see you soon. Okay. Deal. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye.